Welcome to the WatermarkOC.Church podcast. Thank you for listening. All right, we're in a book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is an awesome book. We call the series Wonderful. We're in Hebrews chapter 13, so we're coming to the end of the book. And, and like always in a, in, a, in a letter or in a, a writing or a sermon, like, so what's the point of all this? And, and the author of Hebrews has been taking a lot of time from chapter to chapter talking about uh, why Jesus is superior to any other form of religious system. And in this book, it's the Jewish religious system. Jesus is superior to any other form of religious system because Jesus did not come to create a new and better religion. That's not why he came. Uh, Jesus, Christianity is not a religion, although we can make it a religion, but it's not a religion. Jesus came to invite us into a life-giving relationship with God. Christianity is a life-giving relationship with God. And so there's a group of people that are, that are Jews that had become Christians in the first century, and they started to follow Jesus, and things got hard for them. Uh, economically, socially, they were persecuted, they were challenged, and they thought, you know, I'm just going to give it up. I'm going to give this Jesus thing up, and I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to the religious system of Judaism. I'm going to go back to that community. And the author says, why would you want to go back when you have something that is superior? Why would you want to go back when you have something that is actually the fulfillment of everything you've been practicing in Judaism. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. You know, why, why, why don't we have a temple anymore in Jerusalem that Christians go and worship? Because Jesus is the temple, right? We don't need a temple anymore. Why, don't, why aren't there sacrifices of lambs and goats here this morning to cover your sins? We don't need sacrifices because Jesus is the sacrifice, uh, why isn't there a high priest, you know, that's, that's, that's interceding for us in a, in, in a holy place? Well, we don't need a high priest. Jesus is our pre- high priest. And so Jesus is superior because he's taken all that the law did to bring us to a place that we would know that we needed a savior, we needed a relationship, we needed grace. We needed forgiveness, and it all came through ultimately Jesus' fulfillment of the law. And the book of Hebrews has been talking to these Jewish Christians that are struggling and thinking of walking away. And every week, the author has been giving these folks something to hang on to, to encourage them to keep going in their race. And this morning, I think, for me, this is the most important thing that God has ever given me in my Christian life, outside of my salvation. This is the way that I live my salvation out. This is the gift that Jesus gives to every one of us and desires that we would enter fully into it. I don't think you can live a Christian life without this gift. I don't think you can become like Jesus. The goal of our life is to become without this gift. I don't think you can get through the storms of life without this gift. It is the reason my marriage has gone 37 years. It is the reason that I've been able to parent three beautiful girls and raise them up to have wonderful, a wonderful life and following God. It's the reason that I found my career path and my passion. It has been so important to me. And what am I talking about? What are you talking about, Bucky? Coffee, right? No laughs? 
I'm trying to be funny here. Come on. Eeyore's, you know, I got the Eeyore joke before from Ben. I was trying to get a little out of my Eeyore there. Get, come on, give me a little laugh there. No, it's not the gift of coffee, even though I love coffee. It's the gift of community. It's the gift of community. It's the gift of community. Community is the single most beautiful, important gift that Jesus came to give us for us to become the people that he desires us to become. God's plan for your life, God saved you for this, God baptized you into this. When you were born again, you were born into a community. The church is not a building, nice building. The church is not just wonderful songs. The church is not just good coffee. The church is not just comfortable chairs. The church is a group of people that walk in life-giving, loving community. That's what the church is. And that's what the author is reminding these Hebrews because they're saying, oh my gosh, we, we, the temple, there's no more temple anymore. Jesus is our temple. There's no more sacrifice. Jesus is our sacrifice. There's, there's no more high priest. Well, how do we worship God? How, how do you worship God if there's not a temple to go to worship men? How do you worship God if there's not a high priest to intercede for you? How do you worship God if you don't take a sacrifice? What is acceptable worship to God for people that have been worshiping God thousands of years through rituals and religious practices. What is worship? And the author is going to say worship is community. That is the acceptable worship of God. Now we worship God in loving community, right? If we have great songs up here, and I love the songs, and, and we have... Uh, teaching that's good from people other than me, because I struggle with it, but if we have great teachers, and if, and if we have amazing offerings, and if we have excellent prophecies that are given, guess what? If we don't have love for one another, the Bible says we gain nothing out of this service. We've wasted our time. First Corinthians 13, if you want to look that up, it says, if I have all these things, but I have not love, for the people in the circle, for God's family, I gain nothing but a religious practice. That's how powerful, how important, and how life-giving community is for flourishing on this planet. Therefore, because of all the stuff we've talked about, all the things that Jesus is the superior high priest, Jesus is the superior sacrifice, Jesus is the Son of God, since we are receiving a kingdom from Him that comes by grace right? How do you become a Christian? You accept God's gift of forgiveness through his grace, through his death for your sins, through his resurrection for your life, and you trust that, and you receive a kingdom. You don't just receive an individual ticket to heaven. You are a part of a kingdom of God, a community of people. That's a part of what you are put into. It comes from grace. Since we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And here's the question, and so worship God acceptably. How do we worship God acceptably? Is it about the right place and the right sermon and the right communion practices and all this stuff that we talk about? It's about the right heart towards the people that are sitting next to you. You want to worship God? Love your brother and sister. You want to worship God, love your neighbor. You want to worship God, love your husband and your spouse. You want to worship God, love your children. That is the worship that God has brought us into because of the body and blood of his son. 
We are in relationship with God. We love God now because we've been brought into this loving relationship with God. And what is the outflow of that love? To love one another with authentic, life-giving love. Thankful, so worship God acceptable with reverence and awe, right? Wow. For God is a consuming fire. What is at the center of the universe, right? Beyond all the molecules and atoms and all the stuff that's physical matter, what is at the center of the universe? The core of the universe, the core of creation is Trinitarian love. God is a community, right? He is one, and yet he's three, right? A three-person God. We're Trinitarians. He's Father, Son, and Spirit. And at the core, what is the consuming fire at the core of the universe? It's life-giving love. The Father loves the Son and gives himself away for the Son. The Son loves the Father and honors the Father and blesses the Father. They both serve the Spirit and send the Spirit to serve others. You see, it's a Trinitarian dance of love. That is what you've been brought into in salvation. You've been brought into a community. God is a community. So how do you worship God? What's the answer? Community, right? Community. And that's what the author... Why would you walk away from the very thing that God saved you for, not for more religious practices and rituals, to come into a community of committed love. That is the essence of life and eternal life. Keep on loving one another. Don't walk away. Keep on loving one another. When I have a couple in my office that comes in for counseling because they're fighting and they're angry and they're struggling, do I tell them, oh, just fine, just walk away from each other and you'll feel better, right? Just leave the marriage and things will get better. You'll find somebody else, right? Is that what I counsel them? No, I take them to the research, the empirical data that's been done on marriage that says marriages that are struggling, if they'll stay committed, if they'll keep on loving, if they'll push into it through counseling, if they'll look on themselves and lean into authentic love, they are happier than those couples that give up and divorce. It's been researched. And so the answer is when marriage gets hard, not to walk away, but to lean into it. Lean into this covenant love. That's what the authors tell. Don't walk away from Jesus and his family. That's what you were. Lean into that family. That's where life is found. The center of the universe is exploding with Trinitarian love. We now worship God in a community of covenant and committed love. That's where Hebrews is going at the end of this. Stay connected, stay committed, stay loving one another. What was Jesus doing before and after his resurrection, right? What was he doing? Was he preaching just sermons? I mean, was he writing books? Was he saying, gosh, I want to build a nice huge building and get a bunch of people in it and so I can, I can have a, a popular ministry? What was, what was Jesus doing, right? He was building community. That's what he was all about, Right? He gathered 12 guys. He went up on a mountainside and he prayed and he called those 12 and they came to him and he pointed them that they might be with him. That's how he changed them and transformed them in community, not an individual relationship. You can't become like Jesus listening to a podcast alone, going to seminary alone, opening, opening a book alone. Uh, all, all the stuff that you've learned is great 
uh, just hearing sermons, you can't become like Jesus. Those are all great tools, but you become like Jesus in community. That's how he did it. There's no other way. He put the 12 together. He didn't say, you follow me here, I'll meet with you over here, but don't deal with these guys, right? And, And that's what we tend to do in America. We make an individualized Christianity, and it doesn't transform us right? We have to have community, life to life, heart to heart, transforming, loving, committed, caring community if we're going to change and become like Jesus. It doesn't happen any other way. And so he brought these 12 together that they might be with him and that he might send them out. Yes, to send them out to be his ambassadors. But what they learned and how they were formed to love the world came through community. And if you do the research on these guys, these, this is a motley crew, different social, social backgrounds, different political spectrums. You've got extreme liberals in this group, extreme conservatives, and you've got radicals that want to, are zealots. They, they want to take over the government and kill people. This motley group of guys, fishermen, all different types of personalities, sons of thunder, is, is that, is that kind of, that's kind of a personal expression? Hey, Jesus, you want us to call down fire and burn up, burn up this village? The two guys, sons of thunder, that's, that was one of their questions for Jesus. These guys were a rough and tumble motley crew. And Jesus took them and through the compassionate fire of his love, formed them in a group of men that changed the world. You cannot fulfill your destiny Become who God's called you to become without the gift of community in your life. Jesus said, you are a city on the hill. He was talking to a community, not an individual. The church together, as we love one another, as we walk together, we become a city. As we serve the community, we become a city on a hill. You're not just an individual light, right? You're a city on a hill. You're a flock, right? You're you're not just one lamb out there alone, go out and figure yourself out and do your life your way. No, you're a flock. And the good shepherd, how do you hear his voice? You hear it when you gather in community, right? The good shepherd speaks to you in community, right? You're a family, right? Who's my family? Those that want to do my will. See, Jesus uses community metaphors all the time because that's the church. It's a community, and that's why you're here if you're at Watermark Church, Jesus is calling you into community. Or, or you can go to another church and find community. But don't just go to church, hear a sermon, come once or twice a week and think that you're doing Christianity because you're not. You're not. Christianity is authentic, life-giving, invested, life-to-life community. That's what it is. And that's what Jesus is calling it to. It's the greatest thing that he could ever give us. Why do people walk away from Christianity in America because they've never really tasted it or even tried it. Because they think it's going to a church, hearing some preaching, thinking about what it says, and they go to try to do that in their life, and it doesn't work, and they go, I tried that stuff, and those people are hypocrites, and I'm out of here, right? So, or people bounce from one church to another, and they never get connected. And they've never really tasted and tried what Christianity is about because it's about authentic, life-giving community. That was Jesus' prayer, right, for his disciples. What was his prayer? You know, that they'd be unified in love in such a way, in John 17, that the world would see Christ in us in our love for one another, in our unity for one another. That was his prayer before he went to the cross, that we would be a community of love. And so the book of Hebrews says, keep on loving one another, 
That's your worship as brothers and sisters. What's the metaphor there? We're a family, right? That's an intense metaphor. Everybody understands family, right? It is an intense metaphor. The Christianity turned the first century world upside down because of the family love, the brotherly love, the Philadelphia love that they had for each other changed the world. It cha- they, they adopted orphans. They loved widows. When the, when the society threw, threw out leftovers, leftover people, they loved the orphans. They loved the wi- widows. They went to the sick and the poor at the risk of their own life. And they were this loving community. And they loved one another. Here's a guy that's a skeptic of Christianity. His name is Lucian of Samosata. And he wrote about the Christians. And this is what he said. He was skeptical towards Christianity. But this is how he described Christians. Their found, he was actually making fun of them. This is sat- satirical writing. Their founder convinced them that they, sh- that they should be like brothers and sisters to one another. Therefore, they despise their privacy and view all their possessions as common property. That's crazy, right? These people despise their own privacy, their own personal stuff, and they're willing to share it with one another. They're willing to take their clothes off their back and give it to one another. They're willing to take their earthly goods and share it. These people are crazy. It was that crazy love that actually turned the first century world upside down and why Christianity is alive today in the world And Rome is just a relic. The most powerful nation in the world, Rome, making fun of Christians. Rome does not exist. You can go see the relics today. Christianity is flourishing in the world. A third of the globe is Christian because of this flourishing, committed family love. What's the most important influence in your life? Your education? TV shows that you've watched, the books that you've read, the friendships maybe that you've had. What's the most important influence in your life? It's family. Family has shaped you. Family has molded you. Family has changed you more than any other thing you've experienced in your life. Family is intentional. It is intense. It is investment. And we've all been through part of family. You know what, it doesn't matter who, who, where your brother or sister are, your mom or dad are, if they're across the country, if they're from Texas, over in Texas, and you're, when something happens to grandfather in Texas, when something happens to my sister on the East Coast, when something happens to this person, guess what, you show up. Why do you show up? Because you're family. We're blood. We've got the same name, and family watches over family. We show up, we do it because we're family. That's why the metaphor was chosen by Jesus. He's saying, you are a family, and so you need to show up for one another. You need to share with one another. You need to be transparent like families are transparent. You can't hide in a family, right? Family is the place where what? You get your nose wiped and your butt wiped, right? You can't hide in a family, right? Everybody knows all your stuff in the family. Your sister grew up with it. She's not impressed by you. Your sister or brother is not impressed by you. Your mommy, daddy, they raised you. They understand who you are. You can't hide. They know exactly your strengths and your weaknesses. And that's what real community is. That's what the church is supposed to be. And yet we've made the church a place of hiding from one another. Exactly the opposite. We come to church. We put on a Jesus face. We pretend like everything's great. And we hide from each other. And we're not willing to share our stuff. We're not willing to come out and be authentic and transparent when that's the place where God will actually change your life. 
when you're willing to be honest and transparent with the Word of God and the people of God, the Holy Spirit begins to pierce your heart. And, and that sword of the Spirit does surgery on the soul and transformation starts to happen. You can't do it by hiding. You have to invest in authentic Christian community. You become like Jesus only in community, right? Only when you make an intentional commitment to meet with a group of people week to week, day to day, rhythm to rhythm, and you, you, you challenge them, they challenge you, you're honest with them, they're honest with you, you fail in front of them and they pick you up, they fail in front of you, you pick them up, you, you, you share dreams, you pray, you pound the word of God in each other's hearts and lives, and God changes you into his image. That's the way that he does it. And so you can't become like Jesus without community. It just doesn't happen. And, and that's what the author is saying to this. Keep on loving. Keep being a family. Keep showing up. Keep being transparent, being authentic. Keep sharing. Keep loving. And that fire is going to change you and make you into a different person. But the Christian church was not just an intense community, a family. It was an incredibly open community. Many families, like a church like this, can become a clique, right? We become so ingrown and so about our little circle that nobody can break in. But the early church was incredibly intense. It was also incredibly open to strangers and aliens and broken people and foreigners. Look at what it says. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. Keep on loving one another as family, Philadelphia, but also Philoxena. Practice love of strangers as well. That's why the early church was so unique. They loved one another, but they also loved the foreigner, the alien, and the stranger, and they welcomed them in. For some, by doing so, some have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Intense, but also inclusive. Open your life and resources to those who you can't benefit from. What, what, what is America about? What is Newport Beach about? What is Orange County about? Winning friends and influencing people, right? I want to I hang out with those guys, man, because if I hang, I might get that deal, right? Well, if, if, I get, if, I, if this guy knows me and he gives me a recommendation, I'll get into that school. You know, if, 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 I, if I'm on this team and, I, and this team goes, I'm going to get the scholarship, right? It's always about being with the right people in the right place, right? What am I going to post, man? Let me post with these friends. And then people will think, man, I got it going on, right? Well, guess what? The early church, they loved the homeless people that couldn't do anything for them. The homeless people who couldn't give anything back. They loved the homeless. They loved the orphan that had nothing to, to return, Right? They, they, they loved the, the sick and the hurting that had, had no place to serve but needed to be served. And that's what revolution... They loved the stranger. They showed radical hospitality and shared their resources. And there the love of God poured from their family and many people were added to the family. The ancient world was built on something totally different, the patronage system. You only hung out with people that could benefit you. You only had people over, over that could benefit you. And the church flipped that upside down and transformed the world. Are we doing that as a church today? I'm thankful that we, we go and feed the homeless. Yesterday we were in Costa Mesa feeding the homeless. We do that all the time. We go to Mexico and build homes for people that can't come and build homes for us. We, we go and love the stranger and the foreign. We adopt orphans into our own families and raise them. We adopt orphans into our own families. 
this, this is what the church is to be about. This is, this is community. This is what changes us. Entertaining angels, what is that all about, right? That's a reference to the Old Testament. That's a reference to the gospel. Abraham, Genesis 18, he was visited, right? He was serving God and following God, and a group of angels came into his camp, and he started serving them a meal, right? He started just showing them Eastern hospitality, and all of a sudden he was let in on what God's will was and what God was doing with regards to the birth of his new son, with regards to Sodom and Gomorrah. So what is this saying? This is saying that when you serve the poor and you go to the stranger, guess what? God's already there because that's what he's doing. You know, we don't, we don't go looking for angels. There's, there's this angel, angel worship thing where we go out looking for angels. No, we don't go looking for angels. The church goes and looks for the poor and guess what? Angels show up. <laughs> because that's what God's doing. God's ministering to the poor and the hurting. That's where he hangs out. And when you give something away to the poor, guess what? God's ministering spirits minister to you. The grace of God shows up in your life, and you understand the knowledge of God, the will of God, and God's purposes, because when you go to the poor, you're saying, Jesus, I'm here, and God shows up, and he meets your needs too. That's what that's saying. That you're never going to be left out in giving yourself away to somebody that's marginalized and poor because God is going to be there and he's going to meet your needs and your resources. He's going to be with because that's what he's about. And so that's the openness of a church and a community. This, this is yesterday. It was Love Costa Mesa Serve Day. Uh, a bunch of different churches. I was there with the people from our church, there were people from Mariners, people from the Crossing, all kinds of churches, and we went into a widow's house, and this widow was, was terminally ill. She has a terminal disease, her father had the same terminal disease, and she's dying, and her, this house that's been inherited, her father gave it to her, that's all that she's got, and it's a mess, it's a complete mess. And before she dies, she wants to give something to her daughter, a legacy to her daughter, this is all that she has. And the church came and started to clean up her house and took out all the garbage. I mean, this place, her dad was a hoarder. I don't know if you've ever been in a hoarder's house. It, it is brutal. And so, man, I got my mask on, and there's, I don't know what's, what's coming out of the walls. I mean, it is, it is really a challenging place. But this woman who began at the beginning of the day with us, when we laid hands on her and we prayed for her at the end of the day, was weeping. And she said, I had walked away from God. I felt judged by the church. And we said, well, God wants you to hear a different message. The church showed up to love you with the love of Christ today, and that's the gospel. Jesus loves you. And she said, I'm starting to believe it again. I'm coming alive to God today. That's the church. That, that's what we're supposed to be about, guys. We're the hands and feet of Jesus in the community. We're incredibly loving to one another, and we're incredibly loving to the world. And that's what changed the first century world, the power of community. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together in prison with them and those who were mistreated as you yourself were suffering. Marriage, this important part of community, should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, right? That's, marriage is the, the, the most intimate form of community. And God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. You see, the Christian church had such unique countercultural patterns of loving God, loving one another. They changed the values of the first century society. Uh, because of their radical grace, their radical commitment, and their radical generosity, 
they actually started to change the world. And different values started to be embedded. Why, why is America called a good society? Do you know that that comes from Judeo-Christian values? It comes from the community of faith. It's embedded in our legal system and everything we do. I mean, we want to throw God out of everything. But guess what? God has set the foundation for prosperity in our, in our country. It's because of the, the moral, ethical, Christian values that we even have a government and a society founded on. And so here's what one person said. These Christians are so radical, they share their table with everyone, but not their beds with everyone. You know, the first century world was the opposite of that. You shared your bed with, you had sex with anyone, right? You had sex with temple prostitutes, you had affairs, you had sex with anyone, anywhere, it didn't matter. But your goods, you didn't share with anybody. You kept your food, you kept your clothes, it's all about me. Does that remind you of any world that we we know of? right? Does that remind you of what you see on the TV every day? Share your bed with everyone. Share your goods with no one. That's an incredibly selfish, self-centered society. And I'm sad to say America is headed that way and it is that way. We're incredibly selfish, we're self-centered, and we're all about ourselves. And the only way that I know to change that is through the radical, everlasting love of God. To not be consumer Christians that come to consume, but to be transformed Christians in community that show the love of God to each other and to the world. That's how the ancient world worked. It worked by sharing your bed with everyone, sharing your goods with no one. These Christians, they shared their bed with only their spouses, right? The marriage bed was holy, and they shared their goods with everyone, and they were radically transforming to the culture. We take that, we think that, yeah, that's pretty... That was revolutionary, and we need a revolution in America again, guys. We're going to start a series called Love, Sex, and God in a couple of weeks. And we need to understand biblical sexuality. We need to know how to talk to our kids about it, because the world is telling our kids what sexuality is every day. It's amazing what's happening to our kids in school. We need to have a dialogue. We need to have a loving dialogue. We need to have a biblical foundation. And we need to give our kids sexual freedom, because their culture is going to put them in sexual bondage. And so we're going to talk about that, and we're going to pray about that, and God's going to show us the way. But this is the community commitment that we need, and God wants each one of us to be committed to community. Are you committed to community today? Have you made that investment in your life? Have you chosen to be all in at whatever church you go to? It doesn't have to be watermarked, but whatever church you go to, I think the scripture says you need to be all in in that church. You need to be committed to the people in that church. You need to be in life-transforming relationships. Otherwise, the church is not going to be the church. That's why we all need to be committed to community. I'm going to ask Steve and Rachel to come up. They're new members of our community at Watermark Church. And before we end our service, I just want them to share their story. These guys, who wouldn't want to be in community with these guys, right? Look at this. Awesome. And they, they have, a, they have a, a beautiful little baby boy, too. He's being careful over there, but he's awesome. But guys, how did, you, how did you come about finding Watermark as a community? How did you choose this church? Well, we found Watermark, I can tell you, exactly nine months and 20 days ago. <laughs> and I know that because that's a day that's forever seared in my memory. Um, Rachel was pregnant at the time, and... When, as a result, you know, we started thinking differently. We got a little kid, we're going to be responsible for him. Where do we want to raise this little guy? And we decided, you know, we really want to do that in a very family-oriented community of people. So we started looking around for 
different churches, and Rachel found, I think she was driving on the freeway and said, well, there's one, let's try that. So we jumped in, and, you know, we walked in the door, and the most welcoming group of people I've ever come across, and first thing, we see Ben, and we're like, hey, we know you, and he's like, what are you guys doing here, and then he's like, let me introduce you to the head pastor, so he takes us over to Bucky, and I'm like, I remember you from the church I grew up at, and so right away, we're seeing some familiar faces, and then uh, during worship, um, God very clearly said, welcome home, this is your new church, and just in case you weren't sure that was me, she's going to go into labor tonight. Ah. And sure enough, she did. And so here we are. So if you want to <laughs> induce labor, watermark's the place. That's what yeah. <laughs> awesome. What about you, Rachel? Um, so yeah, I would echo everything that Steve said. And then, um, so George was born uh, about 30 hours later. It was a crazy labor. And then uh, we stayed away for six weeks because paranoid new parents, germs, you know. Um, but then our first week back, Pastor Ben was uh, giving an invitation for uh, the women's Bible study. And so I took a leap of faith and signed up. And through that Bible study, met an incredible group of women, all different ages and backgrounds, and definitely an authentic uh, group that I've grown a lot through. Um, through that group, also met uh, Pastor Bucky's wife, Kathleen. And uh, she got me plugged in to the women's ministry there to serve. And then I also met Pastor Jerry's wife, uh, Sandy, who mentors young moms. So uh, that's kind of my story, how I got plugged in. And it's been a very, uh, it's really become a family. Like everything you were talking about, I know a lot of these women throughout the week will like text each other encouragement or meet up for coffee. Or it's just, it's definitely become a family, which is what we're looking for. Thank you guys. Thanks for sharing your story. We appreciate you so much. So... That's, that's the choice to say, you know, I, I just, I'm just not coming to a building or a sermon. I'm coming to a family, and I'm choosing family. If you're choosing Jesus, you're choosing family. You're choosing the people around you. And I'm going to be in life-giving relationships. I'm going to give to them. They're going to give to me. We're going to walk together, and God's going to transform us. And that transforming love is going to go out and spill out into the community. And, and that's what a church really is. And so I just want to encourage you, if you haven't made that choice, some of you have fully dove into community, and uh, I'm so thankful that you have. Others of you kind of have your toe in the water, and you know what? My encouragement is to take a little bit of a deeper dive. You know, get involved in, in, in a community group. Ben or myself would love to help you get involved in a small group, a men's group, women's group, couples group. Uh, get involved maybe in serving and giving back here. That's a way to find community. This is a family and people that serve together. We have family community when we're making the coffee and when we're doing things. We're talking about God. We're praying for one another. Get involved in serving. Maybe going and serving the poor with us. It's a community. It's a family. We serve the poor. We have great relationship building and investment there. Uh, maybe it's just hanging out, out after church a little bit longer. 15 minutes and get, get to meet some people and have share some stories. Invite somebody around you to lunch and find out what a, an amazing person that, that person is or that couple is. Uh, just take a step and make an investment in community because it will be life transforming. It will change you, but it will be a part of Jesus' plan to change the world around you. That's what it's all about. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to come to the communion table. We're going to worship God and respond and take the bread and cup and Jesus said, this, this is a community meal, right? We do this together. We don't take communion alone. We do it as a family, right? 
And Jesus said, a new command I give you. Love one another the way that I have loved you. They will know you are Christians by your love for one another. That is a church. That's where Jesus is taking us to love the people in the church that you've been called to. Take another step in that today. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for this communion table that we come to. Lord, fill us with a sense of wonder and awe as we worship you and thank you that you gave your body and blood so that we could be a part of the body of Christ, right? It's not just a bread and a cup. It's your family. It's the people around us. This is the place that we're known and we're healed and we're transformed. And so I pray that everybody has that gift in their life. We have the courage to take steps. If we have wounds and hurts, Jesus, would you heal those things in us? Would you take away the fear or the barriers that keep us from community? Help us to be all in and help us to find the life-giving relationships. Help this church to flourish in life-giving love for one another so that we can be change agents in this world. We thank you. We celebrate your gift of your love at at the communion table this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. To find out more about us, go online to watermarkoc.church.